0: Oh I used to be arounder, I've been around this town. I used to be a lander, been around this town, I've cordiated pretty Polly I've been all around.
1: Hey guys, welcome back to Mount Murders.
0: Hey, what's up, Dylan? How you doing?
1: What it is
0: what it is, yo? You having a good summer?
1: Uh, yeah, I am. Thanks for asking. You've been with me the whole time.
0: Well, I know. I'm just are making you... casual conversation.
1: Uh, are you having a good summer?
0: No, not really. Are...
1: Oh, so I'm ruining your summer, basically. Well, yeah, is what you're saying.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You are. Okay, so this is a great way to start off an episode.
0: <laughs> but mountain murders makes my summer better.
1: Yeah, I know. I just, uh, quickly, uh, we usually drop a little bit of small talk here at the start. Um. It is funny. I was telling you the other night that I actually go to our murder podcast page on Facebook instead of like my regular timeline, which is sad. And like, there's all this infighting and, you know, people have all these divides, religious, political, whatever. And um, um, I go to our Mount Murders to, to get laughs. And it's just different.
0: Oh, well, yeah. And we have a great. Of people. We have a
1: great crowd they of people.
0: friends are great people.
1: With the one interest. And, and they we,
0: engage.
1: And we keep the rest out.
0: Yeah and and it's mostly fun and lighthearted. It is. And we don't have the political nonsense and all yeah. that discussion and so. I love it. It's just fun.
1: So I, I just find myself as soon as I open Facebook I go there and uh, read all the great comments and get laughs and uh, just yeah. So that's why I go to Smile is the Murder Podcast page.
0: <laughs> okay, Mountain well, Murders. if you are not following us on Facebook, of course, you can find us under Mountain Murders. We're on Twitter, the same username, Mountain Murders, and we're also on Instagram under Mountain Murders Podcast. So if you're into social media, you can follow us on those pages. And then, of course, you're listening to the podcast, so clearly you found us.
1: Yeah, and uh, if you uh, like what you hear or have been hearing it, just... uh if you can, hit that subscribe button. That helps, you know, put some little stats up there for us. And, uh, yeah. We'll we just... love
0: those five-star reviews as well.
1: Yes, the five-star review no matter where you listen. Yeah. And And, uh, yes, that's awesome. And just, you know, just taking time out of your day to listen to us really keeps us going. It really does. And, of does. course,
0: we have a Patreon uh, account. If you find us, Mountain Murders, we're on Patreon. And you can sign up at our lowest level, just a couple of bucks. You're going to be billed that monthly. So just once a month, you can chip in, you know, 3 $5, $10. And that actually goes a long way to help us keep the podcast going because, you know, we like to upgrade uh, equipment. We have hosting fees. We have a website, all of that stuff. Plus, we'd really like to get some um, merchandise, some merch that we could um, send some of our friends and uh you know have some contests and things yes totally kind of in the works um to get some maybe t-shirts and stickers and that kind of thing yes
1: totally um we already have some patrons and we love you guys to death and uh it's already helping us uh, absorb some of the costs because even we're doing our little baby version of this because it's fun and we love it um it's still you'd be surprised the the cost along the way just to get it out to the people
0: well that's true So, are you ready to get started?
1: I am. uh, What uh, story? You're kind of surprising me again, which usually is pretty good.
0: Well, we had a surprise before where we sort of switched roles. And Mm. you led the Saluda Hotel podcast about the murder there. Yes. And you didn't like that too much?
1: I did. I was horrible. You
0: have mixed feelings about it?
1: Well, I just, um, I think I, I sucked a big, veiny yeah, engorged one. <laughs> no. Oh.
0: Well, folks, if you enjoyed listening to Dylan host the show, make sure you leave some positive remarks for him, so we can get him to do it again. But this week, I'm back in the driver's seat here, and I've got a story for you. Uh, this is one actually that you've never heard of, right, Dylan?
1: Uh, no. I and
0: haven't. I actually didn't know about this guy until I did some research, and our story. Well, I'm not going to say it takes place in the mountains because it does start, we have some ties to West Virginia here, but then some of the other um, parts of the case move over to Ohio. But since we're in Appalachia, we're talking about, you know, mountain murders, I figure, ah, West Virginia is close enough. And then, of course, we've been, you know, in and around Ohio, kind of, you know, the Ohio, Kentucky, West Virginia, all that kind of runs together right there and you get a lot of that ohio west virginia coal mine um history and stuff so we're still going to consider that to be part of our region here
1: well yeah the more and more we see and look uh, you look a lot and find some very interesting cases we're going to get drug outside of the appalachian area a little bit and we also want to you know touch in some other states but uh, yeah, but so, I think they'll forgive us. So
0: this is a pretty interesting case. As I mentioned, I wanted to share it with you because it's so gruesome. Are you ready to get started?
1: Oh, you know, I love, the, well, in a weird way, love might be a, the wrong word, but yes, I love... You're passionate
0: those. about gruesome, gory cases?
1: Yes, I find those very interesting.
0: Me too. I have a sick fascination with the morbid types of things. Exactly. So this case is just going to be right up your alley then, if you like... Gross stuff.
1: Okay, what are we calling this? The Butcher. Oh, now you've got my attention.
0: Exactly. So William Wickline, also known as The Butcher. Um, there's not a whole lot I could find about his early life, but what I did find, I'm gonna share with you guys. He was born March 15th, 1952, and he grew up in a fairly middle class community in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. And he was kind of a bad boy. Mostly just pulling pranks, like when he was a teenager and in high school. Um, one of the earliest things that he did to kind of get into trouble was egging his high school principal's car. Uh-oh. So that kind of sparked this mischievous kind of troublemaker uh, persona that would carry on yeah, later and, in life.
1: And that's just kind of lighthearted carrying on there.
0: But he was a good student. And he was described as a potentially talented athlete. He was on the wrestling team, but never really lived up to his potential. That's what his coaches said. Like, they thought he really could have excelled if he had just applied himself. And we're probably um, no strangers to that. I think I've heard that statement more than once in my life. (laughs) Had never been told, like, you you would be great at this if you would just apply yourself.
1: Yeah, I've heard that before.
0: Yeah, well, so apparently William McLean could have been a really great athlete if he had just stuck with it. But by high school, he had slipping grades. And some sources describe his parents as being very involved, uh, very loving, a very loving home, and that they even, like, doted on him. Like, he was kind of like their pride and joy, apple of their eye. So, you know, he didn't have, like, a troubled childhood. Didn't come from a dysfunctional home. I mean, by all accounts, it sounds like he had a pretty, quote unquote, normal family life. Um, you know, even a like a good home life.
1: Yeah, and he sounds like a fairly normal, you know, kid.
0: Yeah, exactly. A
1: little cutting up, and uh, but you know.
0: Well, as I mentioned, he did start getting into some trouble, uh, developing this like bad boy persona. He began running with what people described as a rough crowd, which, you know, we've, we've all heard that as well. Um, when it comes to, you know, maybe he's not a bad kid, but he's kind of hanging out with kids who are pushing the envelope a little bit, taking things a little bit too far. So his troublemaker status eventually is going to lead to six stents in different prisons. Now, his first arrest was at age 19, and then he was arrested nine more times. And during his time in prison, because he did eventually go to prison for several different uh, kind of petty crimes, he took a lot of college classes, like uh, specifically some like college psychology classes. And one of the prison guards even described him as like smarter than the average inmate, which made him more dangerous. Right. Because he was like kind of a natural leader. He had a personality that people kind of flocked to him. And and then he was very smart, and with the psychology background, that kind of thing, he he seemed like maybe he knew how to manipulate and kind of get his way.
1: That is dangerous because you know convicts, uh, all they got is time on their is time on their hands, you know, to figure things out and do things like that.
0: Well, he did undergo a psychological evaluation in 1974. Um, at that time, he had been imprisoned for a string of burglaries. And during that time, he said um, that he did get along fairly well with his parents. He didn't have any issues with them. And he did have two younger brothers, enjoyed, you know, being around his brothers. He didn't have any kind of, you know, ill feelings toward them. And he admitted that he started using drugs at age 16. And in 1978, Wickline was working as a butcher in the prison slaughterhouse. Uh Uh-oh and it was during that time that he really learned how to um you know butcher animals became very good with a knife that kind of thing and his supervisor even praised his work and said that he was exceptional at butchering like just raved on you know his papers uh you know that he was just a really great employee in the slaughterhouse that he did such a great job, was a very talented butcher, very precise.
1: So he's leaning into it. He enjoys butchering and the meat.
0: Yeah. And so later his philosophy is going to become no corpse, no crime. Oh. Hence the nickname, The Butcher. So you ready to get into the meat of this story?
1: Oh. Ah. Hello. <laughs> huh.
0: So, as I mentioned, he had kind of been in and out of jail for a lot of petty crimes, burglary, you know, larceny, that kind of stuff. Um, So, he didn't get, he he wasn't dabbling in violent crimes just yet, you know, in his early life. Right, some petty, petty BS. So, in November of 1979, there was a known drug dealer, Charles Marsh, And he was murdered in Parkersburg, West Virginia. Now, Marsh had the nickname Swampy. And I don't know how he earned this nickname, if it was kind of a play on the fact that his last name was Marsh.
1: Well, yeah, that's kind of clever, I guess.
0: Or maybe he just didn't shower. He had the swamp ass. I don't know.
1: Yeah, maybe he's got them swamp nuts.
0: But Swampy here uh, was found with his hands handcuffed behind his back. He had been strangled with a telephone cord, and then Marsh's head had been cut off and placed on his nightstand. And the killer had even taken the time to comb the hair on Marsh's decapitated
1: Wow, that's pretty wild. Head. So for he'll forever be known as Daddy now. (laughs) Okay. Oh, sorry.
0: Oh, Dylan. Well, medical examiners determined it had been severed with one. Or at most two cuts. So that takes some precision because you got to think about cutting through the neck.
1: Yeah, you got a lot going on there.
0: The muscle, all the tissue, vocal cords, what have you. Ew. And so this person definitely had to be skilled and they kind of, you know, went off the fact that this person had to be um, a butcher. I mean that's the the police were immediately like, you know, this has gotta be someone who knows butchering animals or like a surgeon because it was so precise. Right so neat. Well, Marsh's murder was investigated for over five years before they identified a killer. And it was theorized by the sheriff's office that it could have been a contract killing because Marsh was a drug dealer and apparently had been in competition with some other kind of big drug traffickers and whatnot in the area. But the decapitation, um, part of it, they thought, well, you know, this may have been like a warning to others in the drug trade.
1: Right, or I want you to kill him like this, you yeah. know, when when people put out yeah. his
0: Exactly. But they knew that it wasn't a burglary because I guess at first people were like, oh, well, maybe, you know, the cops on the scene were like, well, maybe someone stole some money, killed him. But once they got, you know, to digging around in this guy's house, they found $30,000 in cash under the mattress.
1: Wow, that's a lot of money.
0: So that was part of the reason they thought that it was perhaps a contract killing, because they found all this money. Right. And they knew that someone who's going to break in and kill a drug dealer probably would steal his stash of drugs, cash, whatever he had on hand.
1: Well, anybody would take 30000 cash. I mean, that's a, you know, that's just... A lot of money, back then especially, and, you know, it's, yeah, it's cash. Right. But if you're a pro, you're just there to do one thing, kill them.
0: Well, we're going to move on. So that was 1979, and as I mentioned, five years passed before they had a suspect in this case. So we're moving to 1982. Chris and Peggy Lurch were a young couple, and they were pretty heavily involved in drug trafficking in Columbus, Ohio. And it was August 14th of 1982 that William Wickline and his girlfriend Teresa Kemp spent an evening drinking heavily and using cocaine. Uh, The morning after, they had this impromptu party, and I should mention they were partying with Chris and Peggy. Oh, okay. So the four of them hanging out, drinking, got the coke.
1: Getting turned,
0: Life in the fast lane. So they are up on that party and whatever. It's so, that good Coke, too. So the morning after they had this little impromptu party, um, Wickline and Chris Lurch got into this argument over money. Because Wickline wanted $6,000 that Lurch owed him. So Lurch has a drug debt, Wickline's trying to collect, Lurch doesn't have the money, not a good situation.
1: And they're they're high, too.
0: So, yeah, yeah, they've been partying, yeah, they've not, not been good. sleeping, they woke up, they were doing more drugs. Yeah. So not a good situation. Well, Teresa Kemp said that Wickline asked Mr. Lurch to come upstairs and check out this bathtub that was clogged. So I guess the the wife, Peggy, was still sleeping. Teresa's downstairs, you know, probably doing some more drinking, to, you know, taking some more drugs. They go upstairs, and she says that it was just a little bit later that um, Wickline came downstairs, and she thought he was acting kind of weird, so she went upstairs to check on Chris, and she found him, like, bent down over the tub, as if maybe he was, like, looking at the drain, you know, trying to figure out what was going on, and that Wickline had slit his throat. So, just slits his friend's throat, whatever, goes back downstairs. She finds this guy bleeding out. You know, he's dead. He's bleeding out all over the place.
1: So, uh, again, that's kind of like a a butcher move. Yeah. Yeah. Just cut his throat, you know, lean him over the tub, let him, you know, bleed out. Yeah, that's pretty. Yeah.
0: So, you know, clearly she's like freaking out. I mean, you know, she's high and this is a person she's partied with and whatever. Well, at some point, I guess it comes out that Lurch had told William Wickline that he had actually slept with Teresa at some point. Which, of course, pisses off William Wickline. And, you know, who's to say if that was the reason he killed this guy? But that was part of the story. Is that the guy had brought this up just, I guess, maybe a little bit before the murder.
1: Yeah, he told the wrong guy.
0: So when Kemp returned downstairs, uh, Wickline was waiting for her and ordered her to hold the legs of Peggy Lurch, who was asleep, because Wickline was going to kill her too. So they go in the bedroom, Teresa holds this woman's legs, while William Wickline strangles her. And it was believed that Wickline then dismembered the bodies and disposed of them in trash bins around town, because the bodies were never recovered
1: nobody no crime
0: makes me think of the peter london case we covered yeah and of course if he's already slit this guy's throat in the bathtub then he's probably going to take the bodies upstairs chop them up in this bathtub he's got the butchering skills you know
1: yeah so he's even got an advantage over other people who end up dismembering out of necessity typically right um he knows how to do it
0: Exactly. Like, he's not
1: fumbling unlike around. Unlike Peter
0: London, who's right. made a huge mess. Right. This guy is quick, precise, knows exactly what he's doing. Knows
1: how to get those joints apart. He's
0: able to pop these bodies apart and put them in trash bags, toss them all over town. So bodies were never recovered, and I guess at this time, did they not have luminol that they could go in and like I figure this out? I anyway. don't know
1: when that, when that came.
0: But overall, with this case, there was very little physical evidence left behind. So this couple just goes missing, they, nobody knows where they are, end of story. So open investigation, cold case, you know, whatever. And investigators believe that um, Wickline had used some sort of like 15-inch folding knife on the lurches That's a big to folding kill and dismember them. Well, he had this real affinity for knives and was always carrying knives, but... From what they gathered, they think that, I guess, he would often have this 15-inch folding knife on his person. Yeah. So they kind of assumed that was probably what he used when it came to this couple. Well, an informant eventually told investigators of Wickline's involvement in the murders, but it took two years. And by that time, he was already incarcerated on some burglary charges. Guy just can't stay out of trouble. So it was during this time that Teresa Kemp came forward with information and would later testify at the trial now, during the investigation, police recovered Peggy Lurch's ring from William Wickline's property, and he claimed it was given as collateral for the money owed to him because he admitted they owed me a big drug debt. She gave me this ring kind of you know just to keep me um off their back right kind of thing well, it's during this time. That, you know, he's being investigated. Kemp's writing him out. There's another informant who's writing him out. Um, That West Virginia authorities began sharing information with the Ohio authorities. And they still had that open case with the guy, March Marsh. Swampy.
1: Yeah, decapitated, brushed hair guy.
0: Well, Wickline was eventually indicted on that murder. And there are other victims, possibly, related to this William Wickline. There was a 14-year-old named Tony Munsey who lived in the suburbs of Columbus, Ohio, and he disappeared in October of 1983. Uh, two days later, his body was found along a highway in Delaware County. And they determined the death had been caused by stab wounds in the back. His arms had been severed at the shoulders and elbows. His head and legs were partially severed at the torso. And, you know, from what they could find out, this kid didn't have any kind of uh, trouble, you know, in his life. There was no, like, drug involvement. Um, You know, just seemed like a normal 14-year-old kid. But what they later were able to piece together was that the motive for this murder was that Muncie refused to leave a drugstore that Wickline wanted to rob. So I guess he planned to go in the store, kill this kid. He told this kid, like, you need to get the hell out of here. And this kid was like, fuck you. Who were you supposed to be? And then he killed this kid.
1: Wow. So he's basically someone you just don't want to cross. Yeah. You don't have any problem with just killing you.
0: Another victim, and now he was not um, indicted, you know, for the Muncie murder or this guy. But the police investigators, they all believe he was involved. was a guy named Tori Gaynor. And this fellow was involved in illegal gaming operations in Ohio. He went missing sometime between like maybe 78 and 79. But there was no police report filed, like missing persons report. And it wasn't until later that some informants told police that this guy, Corey Gaynor, had been killed. Then he was dismembered and that the killer had scattered body parts um, like across town. Wow, which seemed to be the calling card of William Wickline.
1: What would you do if you were going around town just about your, you know, normal business?
0: Like running my errands?
1: Yeah, running your errands or um, whatever, and boom, there's a fucking arm.
0: Yeah, that I may mean, have thought that about w- this. Am I a sicko because I thought about what I would do in this no, situation? No, I've, I've thought
1: about it too, and I just think it would be very disconcerting. I think it would fuck you up.
0: To find an arm or an ear. Or a
1: leg or just any...
0: Because I think of that movie Blue Velvet. Yeah. And um, the Kyle McLaughlin character, he finds that ear. Right. Like how eerie would it be to find ha. an ear?
1: Ha. You said eerie.
0: Well, yeah. How weird. How strange. I mean, to me, finding an ear would be more disturbing than like finding a whole arm. Really? I, yeah, I don't know why. Or well, like a okay. piece of a nose. Yeah. I feel like finding a little... Body part
1: would be worse. Would
0: be worse than finding like a leg. I don't know why.
1: Well, I guess uh, hopefully we'll never find out the answers to any of this. But I think it would be really crazy. You think so? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, have have you ever been in a situation though where you felt like you saw a body, like there could have been a body? Yeah. You have.
1: Yeah. I've seen a, one time it was a mannequin in the river. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know that happens a lot to people.
0: Mannequins in the river?
1: Well, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, mistaken.
0: <laughs> Mannequin dumping ground?
1: Yeah, because, you know, the department stores are, they're, they're, they're vicious once they're done with them. And, uh, but no, have you ever had an experience? You know, of course, every bag I see on the side of the road, that looks like it has any kind of weight to it.
0: Yeah, always I always a, assume that's like. Assume
1: that's body parts. Yeah,
0: I always assume that as well. No, I actually haven't been in a situation where I felt like I saw a body. Yeah. much to my chagrin. No, I'm uh, just kidding. <laughs> I also
1: think about yeah, the um we'll talk about it later, but like just the, you know, the hunter the people that do discuss you know the hunt is typically hunters.
0: Hikers. Young
1: kids out, you know, poking around the woods, hikers, just these people off the beaten uh, you know, trail, joggers. Joggers.
0: Usually it's those outdoor enthusiasts.
1: Yeah, I guess I'm never gonna find one here in my refrigerator at home because that's about as far yeah.
0: That's about as far as you get.
1: Well, uh, sometimes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So the Tory Gaynor guy, possible uh, victim of William Wickline. Um, There was also an unknown, unidentified body that was found in Florida. And as this information was coming out, investigators quickly began to see Wickline as the possible perpetrator here. Um, This guy was found, well, his body parts. When I say a guy, part of this guy was found uh, in a canal in Dade County. I guess it was a really rural part of Dade County, Florida. And he had been stabbed to death, then decapitated and dismembered. And the investigators in this case saw some very obvious signs that a butcher or a surgeon was involved. Right. Again, very calculated cuts. Right that, you know, is obviously someone who knows what they're doing. And I guess around the time they found the body, there had been some travel on Wickline's part where he had been in Florida at some point. And they also thought that this could have been, like, maybe Wickline was hired to kill this guy. And it was sometime in 1983. So it would have been a year after Peggy and Chris Lurch were murdered. Okay. Well, even after the Lurch murders... He was continuing to live this active outlaw life. As I mentioned, when they caught up to him and charged him with Peggy and Chris Lurch's murder, um, he was doing a stint in prison for burglary. Um, He sort of became part of this burglary ring that was robbing drugstores and stealing the narcotics.
1: Yeah, it was pretty popular back then, right?
0: Like drugstore cowboy or something?
1: Yeah, right.
0: So it was in January of 1984 that he was finally arrested in that drugstore robbery. And it was during that time that it started to come out, the involvement with Chris and Peggy Lurch. And then, of course, informants ratted on him. And then his girlfriend, Teresa Kemp, ex-girlfriend, came out and said, hey, he did this. Now, Wickline would try to dispute Kemp's um, information. Because they had broken up, like, pretty quickly after the Lurch killings. And she had went on to marry somebody else, like, shortly after that. And so he was saying, like, oh, this is just my scorned ex-girlfriend trying to get back at me. Yeah. But during the trial and later on in interviews, she said that what she witnessed with this crime was, like, the worst thing ever. Yeah. That she still remembers hearing... Like the sounds of the bodies being dismembered, like holding this woman's legs down while he's strangling her. And but she said she really felt she was so scared of him that she felt like she had to do what he said because yeah. she knew he was like crazy. Yeah, because
1: that's what jilted lovers typically do say, Yeah, I helped them kill someone and they cut him up. I mean, that's that happens all the time.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I mean, we understand the inner workings of crazy exes, but yeah, that's a bit too much. Yeah. But Wickline would stand by that for years and say that, you know, it was all lies and it was just to frame him and she was just upset. You know, whatever. Her heart was broken. That kind of thing. But he was sentenced in the Lurch case. And this would have been, I mean, it was a pretty quick uh, trial and turnaround uh, guilty verdict. Um, So it would have been in 1984, after he was arrested, that he was also sentenced in that case and was given the death penalty. Oh, really? Yeah. And he was actually executed on March 30th, 2004, by lethal injection in Ohio. And I found his last meal, which I thought was pretty interesting. You know, I often think about this, your last meal. I just think the whole concept of a last meal is, I don't know why, it just kind of gets me. And there are cookbooks. That you can get that are like prisoner's last meal requests. Right.
1: I saw you posted that.
0: I know. So, you know, I always think about that. Like, gosh, what would you pick for your last meal? Do you know what you'd pick?
1: I think I would just probably go, I don't know. Would you do like exotic stuff or would you go with something that you really, really enjoyed?
0: I think I'd probably go with something I really enjoyed.
1: This is not the time to be trying new I'd things. I'd go
0: with my, fav- like my old favorite standby.
1: Yeah. What?
0: Pinto beans okay cornbread yeah turnip greens yeah
1: what would you drink sweet tea sweet tea um i think i would do uh, just southern comfort foods various types, maybe a really good meatloaf that's what i always want i do think is what if you request your favorite dish and then like it's prepared all shittily
0: and well, this it's
1: got to like, consider it's a prison. Yeah, so cafeteria. I, I was, uh, you know, used to they um actually went through great lengths to uh, fulfill these requests, but most places now have either a
0: specific menu.
1: They have you you can pick from this, this, and this because you know there's some very uh, comical stories of uh, things that these guys because they're on their way out anyway. Right and just a mess, you know. One last uh, fu to the uh, establishment and the guards, or get get all this crazy expensive food and not eat any of it, or part of me thinks things like that. Like if
0: they're willing to go to great lengths, that I would be like, you have to get me In-N-Out Burger. Yeah, which of course you can only find on the West Coast. Okay, it's fucking delicious. So I'd want like In-N-Out Burger, the In-N-Out fries, a delicious chocolate shake, and then like a jar of. Was it uh, Famous Dave's Spicy Pickles? Oh, yeah. Before we started recording tonight, I totally like had to have a pickle. And I have to admit that last night, you weren't here. You were at work. Yeah. And for dinner, I ate like half that jar of pickles.
1: That is... See what happens when you're unsupervised.
0: I'm not even pregnant.
1: I know. <laughs> and we're not sponsored by Famous Dave's. Spicy pickles.
0: But if he wants to sponsor us, I will gladly take a pallet of pickles. I was going to
1: say, you can pay her in pickles, guys. Yeah, so, or if you
0: love me and you love the podcast and you want to do something nice for us, um, I yeah. love those spicy pickles, and you can send them my way. Yep. So back to the last meal here. So he chose a filet mignon, which sounds delicious.
1: Okay, uh, you like those.
0: Oh, yeah. Medium rare. Okay. So I like those as well. Baked potato. He had six rolls. I wonder if these were like big fat yeast rolls.
1: He likes his uh some big fat yeast roll. Oh
0: my god, those were so oh, good. Oh, it's
1: the only reason I miss Quincy's.
0: Oh yeah, um, that was a great place when we were growing up. Yeah. And then he had strawberry shortcake with butter pecan ice cream. Wow. Then he requested four packs of Pall Mall cigarettes. Okay. Six cans of soda. Three of those were Mountain Dew.
1: Hey, do the do.
0: Exactly. Because
1: I'm about to get it strained to get killed <laughs> <laughs> in your face.
0: So that is the story of William Wickline, the butcher.
1: So he uh, started out in West Virginia. Yep. Um, did he go to Florida, then Ohio, or did he go Ohio, Florida, well, back to Ohio? I think Ohio?
0: he kind of moved around a little bit. Yeah, and he was like involved in the drug trade and that kind of stuff. So, right, I think he was just kind of.
1: So he was here uh, and there. Convicted in Ohio, brought yeah. back to Ohio, and that's how he ended up being killed there.
0: Yeah, he was executed in Ohio. Yeah,
1: they don't play out there in the he Midwest. He was
0: actually awaiting trial for the Marsh, the Charles Marsh case. Yeah, when he was, I guess, executed in. Ohio,
1: yeah, did a uh, um, wow. So they, yeah, they didn't play around. You didn't sit on death road twenty years back then, did you? Some of no, these No, I states. mean he was
0: there for a while, but he was eventually killed. But you know, then they started to like piece together all these other cases, and we're trying to find evidence to, you know, charge him. But like I mentioned, there were those few others that um, investigators heavily believe he was involved in. Right. But they just didn't have the physical evidence to convict him.
1: Now just imagine there could be other people that he only, you know, had a hand in, no one knew about.
0: Oh, exactly. And there was
1: no one to, you know, tell the story later or tell on him type of thing. So just that um and that's kind of a departure from the norm there, the fact that he had a relatively normal Upbringing.
0: Well, and remember, his philosophy was no corpse, no crime.
1: Yeah. So, um, but um, just the fact he had no problem.
0: No, he had a, a good childhood. Yeah. Had loving parents. When yeah. I mean, you hear those stories about how people who get into the system, if you will, um, like get sent off to prison, that it can do two things: it either gets you to straighten your ass up, right, or it makes you uh, an even worse, like more hardened criminal. Yeah. And so it seems like his prison stints, which were for pretty petty crimes, like, you know, burglary, larceny, they weren't violent crimes, right? Um, led to him becoming a murderer because he, you know, started working in the slaughterhouse.
1: Yeah. I mean, do you, maybe this is conjecture, of course. Maybe he just figured out he enjoyed cutting things up. And then, you know, it was a hothead on top of that. And Realize that, hey, I'll just, I'll just fucking kill you and, and maybe, get rid of you. You know,
0: you get away with it once. Yeah. You get brave. But you try it again.
1: That's crazy, though.
0: I know. So again, the story of William Wickline, and we thank you so much for checking out uh, this episode of Mountain Murders. Until next time, stay safe out there. Any last words, Dylan?
1: Don't get butchered.